All right, all right. What is up, church family? How we doing? Come on, y'all better be in a good mood. Come on. Might have a quarterback, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Hey, if you're new around here, I haven't met you. I'm so glad you're here. And uh, the thing is, this, what I love about our church is we have people that come from so many different backgrounds. Uh, different backgrounds of church. And let, let's just survey, if you don't mind. Uh, I won't survey the Presbyterians because I know you guys never raise your hand in church. But... Uh, <laughs> We'll go with everyone. Maybe you want to join in with someone else. Maybe God's giving you some freedom. Now you feel like you can raise your hand. But uh, how many Baptists in the room? Raised Baptists? That, you know, that, there's a lot of them. How many of y'all? Uh, Pentecostal. Pentecostals in the house? Oh, watch out now. Watch out. They're going to let you know about it. Assemblies of God. Assemblies of God in the house. All right? Methodists. Methodists in the house. Come on. You, you want to hear the word. You, I, I'm trying to teach you this morning. I'm trying to. Any Catholics in the room? Catholics, come on. What up? Hey, if you're raised in one of those uh, uh, traditional backgrounds that might, have, might do communion every service, just so you know, if you didn't know this, we've got self-serve communion right back in the corners. And so a lot of times what people will do, they'll just come in and they'll get the elements. And during worship, they'll just take those as a family. So I'd encourage you to do that. We do take communion, but we're not doing it every weekend necessarily. But uh, how many Church of Christ folks? Church of Christ, you're up in here with all these instruments. Come on now. Come on now. I love y'all. It's awesome. So the point is this. We got a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, but, but we serve one Jesus. We praise one Jesus. Amen. And, uh, and, and so here's the deal. Like, even in our worship, even in our worship, some of y'all, if, you, if you're new around here, especially like, uh... I don't know if they're supposed to do this in church or not. Like, are they supposed to, it's supposed to be this loud? Is it supposed to be? And, and so you might see people around you expressing themselves in worship. They might be raising their hand or putting their hands together. Some people, they just stand there. Their eyes are closed, but they're, they're engaging with God in worship. It, there's not any specific right way to worship God. The main thing is it's got to be about him and not be about drawing attention to yourself, right? Uh, but, but here's the thing. <laughs> if we can go to a Cabot Panthers game right? And pack that place out and make fools of ourselves for our home team. If we can go to a Razorbacks game and do spirit fingers, grown men that are going to be in the deer woods soon. Up in there. If we can do that for a football team, how many of y'all know we can come into God's house and give him some praise? So let's do that this morning. We've been in this series, Old School. I hope you guys have been enjoying this, where we've been talking about some of these Old Testament stories. A lot of us grew up learning in Sunday school on felt boards. Come on, how many of y'all got some felt boards in your past, learning some Bible stories? Uh, and, and what we've been talking about is even though maybe the method has changed around how we might teach some of these stories, these stories are still important and impactful and have deep spiritual meaning that we can still learn from. Uh, so we've been touching on a few stories, the fiery furnace, Jonah in the well. This week, I want to talk to you guys about Jacob. This is the grandson, grandson of Abraham. We're going to be in Genesis 32. This is an awesome story. And, and here's the thing. I love it because Jesus is in it. 
Jesus in the story. I have, I have people every once in a while that ask, it's like, Pastor James, why do we even need to talk about the Old Testament? Like, a lot of times I get the Old Testament, I'm just like depressed and discouraged, and there's Leviticus, and there's Numbers, and there's this stuff, and I don't understand it all. And I, I just, I need you to know, because Jesus said, I'm throughout the whole word. And the reason why we can appreciate the Old Testament so much is because the Old Testament builds this tremendous case for how much we need Jesus and how thankful we can be. Uh, but he shows up throughout the whole Old Testament. And this is one of those stories where Jesus shows up because Jesus in this story, he finds Jacob, Jacob, the deceiver, the manipulator. He shows up and he finds this man and he goes WWE on him. Come on. How many how of y'all remember a little cobra clutch back in the day? All right. So Jesus comes. Okay, we have one person that is willing to admit in the whole church that you watch WWE. Some of y'all are lying up in church right now. I know a lot more people watch some WWE. It is an embarrassing thing to admit in front of people, though. Uh, so I'm proud of you. Uh, it takes a lot of strength. Jesus got a hold of him, and he was never the same. Here's the thing. We are in the life change business. That is what the kingdom of God is about. That is what his Holy Spirit is interested in. That's what Jesus came to give us. It's life change. That's what relationship with God is. That even in a moment, Jesus is always about change. As the word talks about it, it goes from death into life, from darkness into light, from lost to found. Anybody ever been lost before? Like really lost. How good did it feel when you finally knew where you were? You had to get some marriage counseling because you argued the whole time you were lost, right? But it felt so good. The word says that the old things passed away and all things have become new. In Revelation, it says that Jesus will say, Behold, I make all things new. New. So how do you know you're saved? Things start changing. There's just change that happens in you because the Holy Spirit, he's not interested in touch-up. He's interested in renovation. He's interested in completely changing stuff. Ripping out the interior and completely rebuilding, remodeling. That's what he's into. So one way to say this is there's, there's superficial change and then there's supernatural change. And the superficial change, I mean, this is like the external. And a lot of times, like every New Year's resolution turns into this. These superficial changes, they're not bad, but they, they typically have to do with like, like I need wider teeth. I need a new job, a new car, a new spouse. Uh, I, I need a new hairstyle, right? Some of y'all ladies, you're changing your hairstyle all the time. And then you come up in here mad at me because I don't recognize you. <laughs> Look, if you're going to change your hairstyle all the time, all different kinds of colors and everything. Please don't get mad at me when I don't recognize you. It's not my fault, Cody. I mean, come on. <laughs> y'all know that would be a problem. Some of y'all like, I just need a new house, new house. We can't get a new house. Fine, we're just going to change everything in it then. My wife will do that. Sometimes she just gets bored. 
I'll, I'll leave. I'll, I'll, I'll be like, I know where everything is in my home. And I'll leave. And I'll come back home. I'll get home. I'll walk in. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> so I just wanted to just, I wanted to change up the flow of things in here. I just wanted to, she moved all the furniture all over the place. It's, everything's different. I can't find anything. I'm like, I, just, I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> Changing stuff. Genesis 32 is a great story about how God, it's a picture of how God changes our life forever. There's this Jacob, and he's, he's leaving his home. He's going to a new place, but he's, he's headed to the promised land. But the problem is his brother Esau is there. And Jacob had lied to and manipulated his brother to get Esau's birthright. And Esau had promised that if he ever saw Jacob again, he was going to kill him. But Jacob knows he's supposed to go where his brother is, and so he is in a very conflicted place in life. And so he's faced with this crisis. He's full of fear, so, so much fear, in fact. He's like, okay, I'm going to go over there, but I want, I want you and the kids to go first. Yeah, I'll send you and the kids first. Maybe Esau will see, like, I'm a family man now, and I love people, and I'm a good person, and maybe if... And he had a couple wives, which is not a good idea. But, uh, but, and then a bunch of kids. And, and so he sends all of them over first. Because he's so full of fear of what his brother's going to do. He hopes maybe if they see, he sees my family, maybe he'll have some mercy on me. And he is in a place by himself. One of the things I think we can learn about change from this story is change starts in a crisis a lot of times. Change starts in a crisis. So in your Bibles... Genesis 32, verse 24 says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go. It's daybreak. In verse 28, it actually says that Jacob wrestled with God most theologians believe that this is a revelation of Jesus in the Old Testament, that Jacob actually wrestled with Jesus. This is who he's wrestling with. Now, growing up, how many of y'all in here ever wrestled growing up? All right, I did a little peewee wrestling when I was really little, uh, but I was really, really little, and so I just got beat every single time. But, but when we were growing up, y'all remember, like, when we were growing up, Wrestling was, was the, the point of wrestling was to get the person you're wrestling with to say what? Uncle. I don't know what, this is the South. Y'all are weird. That was the point. When I was wrestling, it's like, you got to get this. They're going to they're gonna say uncle. You better say uncle. You're going to say uncle. Nowadays, you wrestle and they got to tap out. Like things have gotten violent. Like now you can't even talk because you're getting choked to death. You got to tap out. Tap out. Anybody ever felt like you were in a lose-lose situation in life? Like it didn't matter how hard you pushed and strived and wrestled. It's just, there's just no way you were going to win. That's how it was every time wrestling my dad. My dad was a bob, a big old boy. And he, when I, I mean, I, and I was just like skin and bones, like, like I turn sideways, stick out my tongue, I look like a zipper. I mean, I was skinny when I was growing up. <laughs> I was skinny. And so usually my dad, he'd just like lay on top of me. I couldn't breathe. 
Say uncle. I'm like, ah, I can't get the worst out. That was just a lose-lose situation. There was just no way. But wrestling was always about submission. It's coming to the place of saying, I, I give up. You ever been sick and tired? But have you ever been sick and tired of being sick and tired? That's that place. Maybe it's an internal struggle that's just tearing you apart, or it's, it's a relationship that is strained and difficult. Those are some of the most difficult. Your job, something's just driving you crazy, or someone is driving you crazy, and it's taking way too much of your time and energy trying to deal with it. What I've noticed is God often uses crisis to get our attention. Sometimes it's like the only way he can get our attention. Like, I got a thick skull. Anybody strong-willed in here? Okay, you're not going to raise your hand if you're really strong-willed because you won't do anything anybody asks you to do. Like, yeah, I'm strong-willed, but you told me to do something. I ain't going to do that. <laughs> I know who the real strong-willed people are. They ain't ever going to do anything I ask them to do. I'm, I'm that way. And sometimes, man, God just... He's got to do some pretty crazy stuff to get our attention. So if you're in any kind of crisis right now, I just want to say congratulations. God is providing an opportunity for you to change. That's what you have right now. I feel like it's, it's typically change that people struggle with the most. Change is difficult. But I find that usually happens in the heat of a struggle. Did you know that, that mama eagles, okay, when, when their babies start to get old enough to leave the nest, what they do is they just start making the nest really uncomfortable. So they start going and they get pieces of glass and thorns and different things like that. And they just slowly start taking away the comfortable space in the nest until eventually those birds are they got to leave the nest. And so for any of you that have boomerang children, a boomerang child is one that you try to throw out, and they just came right on back. Maybe what you need to do is start making their nest a little more uncomfortable. I say cut down some bushes and start jamming it in their room, you know, some big old thorn bushes and stuff like that. Just like I'm following the analogy here, but it could work for you. I don't know. But for most of us, until we get really uncomfortable, we're not going to change. We go out of our way sometimes to avoid change. Every, anybody ever have like a piece of clothing that you were unwilling to surrender because of how comfortable it made you? That old, nasty sweater, baggy sweats, you know? When Cody and I started dating, before we got married, I had a pair of amazing Doc Martens. <laughs> like, this is back when Doc Martens had gotten unpopular before they got popular again recently. And I'd had those pair of Doc Martens for probably eight years. And I was still wearing those suckers. And she hated them. And I was like, baby, these are so comfortable. And they're still so cool. And she's like, you're wrong. You don't know anything. 
one day those pair of Doc Martens just disappear. Sometimes forgiving people is one of the most difficult things that God will ask us to do. We hate change. Typically, we won't change until the pain of not changing becomes greater than the fear of change itself. I can speak to that right now, adding a third service. Adding three services is incredibly uncomfortable. It's intimidating. You gotta add a lot of people that are willing to serve. You just pray that people will show up to the services that you need them to show up to so that it achieves the goal that you're trying to achieve. But it's scary. But the truth is this. The pain of the thought of not having chairs and room for kids that are disconnected from the body of Christ or no relationship with Jesus at all, the pain of that is far greater than the fear of change. And so, we change. We have to be willing to. Number two, change moves forward with a commitment. You've got to be committed. Once God gets your attention, you've got to understand, like, this is going to take you being committed to the process of change. In verse 26, it says, then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I love the determination of Jacob. He's going to stick with this. He's going to fight it out and he's not going to quit. He's basically saying, God, I'm sticking with this struggle until I benefit from it. I'm going to see blessing out of this. I'm going to get something good out of all this. So there's things in our lives that I think we've put a lot of time and energy and even money into that even when it gets difficult, we say, I'm just not, this is too valuable. I've given too much to this. I'm going to fight. Please let that be relationships and especially your marriage. Some of us, we just need to, if nothing else, even if it's like, man, just the feelings, they're just not there anymore. Well, listen. I'm so thankful that God doesn't let his love for us be determined by his feelings. But if nothing else, you got to see and say, man, I've just I've put a lot of time into this and some money. I've invested into this. It is worth fighting for. So Jacob struggles until the burden becomes a blessing. Until the burden becomes a blessing. A blessing is something supernatural, though. And it can't be based on the context of what you think the blessing is. God knows what your blessing needs to be. You don't need to put your definition on it. I say that around giving a lot of times because people think, man, if I give and if I tithe, then God's going to bless me financially. It's like, hey, there's a way better blessing than just financially. Some of y'all just need some peace in your life and some joy in your life. You can't buy that. God wants to give you this blessing, but sometimes you're going to have to endure the burden and wrestle with it before you get the blessing. You've got to be willing to count the cost in the meantime. You have to be patient sometimes before your blessing comes. It's like this with us shopping. 
you shop with my wife. She's amazing. She's so frugal. But sometimes it annoys me, okay? Because what will happen is we'll go shopping like with clothes. We'll go shopping. Okay, we'll go to dirt cheap. Everything's 70% off already. And she'll find something and she'll like it. And she'll ask the people where they say, when's your next sale? <laughs> Baby, it's 70% off. Can we just get it? She's like, well, but if I can wait, I mean, maybe the sale. And they're like, yes, ma'am, we're going to have another clearance sale on that item in, in fall of 2021. She's like, oh, okay, I'll just put it back then. I'll just put it back. I'll just wait. She might hide it a little bit. Hey, anybody ever done that before? It's like, if I stuff it under this ugly stuff, ain't nobody going to find it. Not me. I go shop. I see something, I'm getting it. I'm like, YOLO, come on. You only live once. Let's get this. I don't care what it costs. We might have to go home and tell one of the kids, sorry, you three, you're going to college, not you. <laughs> we didn't think you had much of a chance anyway, so sorry. Because <laughs> if I see something I want, I'm just going to. The point is this. Any change in your life is going to come with a price tag. It's going to come with a price tag. If you want to see physical change in your life, guess what? You're going to have to commit until the burden becomes a blessing. If you want to be physical, healthy, if you want to have a temple that is able to accomplish everything that God has for you to accomplish, there is a price that has to be paid. But there's a blessing that comes from the burden with your family. You're going to have to struggle through some differences. The sinful nature that is in the people that are there, the things that they struggle with, it is a burden. It's a burden. But there's a blessing on the other side of that burden. But you got to stick with it. Finances. Some of you need to cut some credit cards up. Some of you need to go through some financial peace. There's some burdens with getting healthy financially. There's some sacrifice that comes with it. But it's worth it. It's worth it to tighten it up a little bit, eat out a little less. I've seen some of y'all at Starbucks. Okay, one coffee, understandable. I see you three, four times a day. We got a problem. Some of us, we need to just be willing to endure the burden so that we can have the blessing. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Hang in there. I want to give you a, a, an old phrase I learned from Miss B. That's Pastor Rick's mom. She's a Cajun. Some of y'all heard this before. Sometimes you just need to hang in there like a hair in a biscuit. Come on, that may be the most powerful thing you hear today. Because <laughs> you get a hair in a biscuit, look, it ain't going, it's going to be there. You got a choice. You throw that biscuit away, you can eat the biscuit, you know. It, that hair ain't going nowhere. Sometimes you got to hang in there like a hair in a biscuit. I'm going to scratch that for the next service. <laughs> That's gross. 
they're going to be getting ready to eat lunch. Y'all can still recover and have a good lunch. <laughs> Number three, internal change demands confession. It demands confession. 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answers. Why did Jesus ask him his name? It's not because he didn't know his name. It's because Jacob needed to confess his name. Because his name, back in Bible times, you were given a name a lot of times based on the situation or your character to which you were born into. And so when Jacob and Esau were born, they were born as twins, and Jacob was born second. But when he came out of the womb, he was holding on to Esau's heel. Like, he was trying to keep him from being born first. Because the firstborn was, got the birthright. And Jacob's whole life then was built around being a deceiver and trying to get that birthright. Trying to, trying to get the better blessing. That was his whole life. And he was given the name Jacob, Yaakov, cheater, deceiver, manipulator. And so what Jesus is saying, you need to confess. He had some major problems with his father, his father-in-law, his wife, his brother, his world. His life was consumed with strife. So if today you were named for your greatest character weakness, what would it be? Temper? They call me temper. <laughs> Got a little bit of a short fuse. Lust? Unreliable, lazy, guilt, depressed, warrior, worrier, not warrior. What would be your tag? Greedy, resentful, fearful? The truth is you will never be who God has called you to be until you can admit who you used to be. You'll never be able to change who you are until you're willing to admit who you've been. Who do you have to admit to? Well, first to yourself. You gotta be honest with yourself. And then to God. And then you need to find at least one person, one other significant person in your life that you can tell. And that's difficult, man. That's tough. But the fact is God won't work in any problem in your life until you admit you have a problem. You gotta admit you have a problem. We know that Jacob definitely had some issues and he needed to admit it. There's so much power in confession. I've always believed in this. I've always believed in giving people an opportunity to confess. Uh, like even if I already know, with my kids I'll do this. I used to do this even when we had a, a, a Bible school, a little Bible school, and we, we had a few, you know, like 80 students or something like that. And we had a really strong code of, of ethics, and, and we call it the honor code. And, and there were some major things in this. If you broke one of these items in the honor code, there's a good chance you're going to get kicked out of the school. 
And so we knew about some honor code violations that had happened in the school. But the thing was, we'd always told people like, hey, if you made a mistake, just run and confess. Because if you can run and confess, if you can be broken and contrite and teachable, then maybe we can work with you. It isn't that there isn't going to be a consequence. There's always going to be a consequence for our actions. But, but maybe you don't have to be dismissed. And so we made, we're made aware of this. But I just used it as an opportunity. And so I went in front of the whole group of students and I said, hey, I just want to let you all know that we are aware of some honor code violations that have happened. And, um, and it's definitely a dismissible offense. And so uh, if you know about this and you know who you are, we just want to encourage you to come and talk to us. And we're going to give you 24 hours. We're going to give you 24 hours to come and confess what you've done. Um, but if we have to go to you, then it's going to be difficult for us to give us the grace that we really want to be able to give you. You would not believe the things that those people came and started confessing to us. <laughs> I mean, we found out way more information than we ever wanted to know. I mean, they were telling us about stuff like, like you understand there's no way that anyone would ever know about that, including us. Like, God knows about it. That's it. But they were, they just, so I just started using that all the time. Like, we, we would find out about stuff. It's like, man, we, could, we just going to clean ship today. I mean, we're going to know about everything that's going on. God doesn't use that kind of fear with us. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that's the best method, but it definitely gave people an opportunity to confess. And I think that God's, that's where he's, where he's working with us. Like, he already knows before you even did it, he knew you were going to do it. But he's always like, man, I just want to hear them be willing to say it. Because then I can work with it. But I can't until they do. Be willing to, to, to confess. Coming face to face with God, coming face to face with yourself, this is difficult. God's not surprised. He just wants you to lay it down with no more excuses, no more blame game. This is who I've been. This is who I'm going to be. So here it is, God, you have to change me. Number four, change is permanent when you submit. Change is permanent when you submit. You've got to cooperate with God and what he wants to do in your life if you really want to see permanent change. Verse 28, it says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man, but you have overcome. Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face. And God wants to bless you. He does. Just like he blessed Jacob. But the first thing God did for Jacob was he gave him a new name a new identity. He said, your name is no longer Jacob, but it's going to be Israel. And remember, Jacob means cheater, swindler, crook. Israel has two different meanings, and this is awesome. Because one meaning means he who struggles with God. He who struggles with God. And the other one means prince of God. I love the grace in that. This balance of truth and grace that every one of us can be someone who struggles with God and can still be heir to his throne. I love that. 
God wants to bless us. God saw Jacob's potential and he knew it and he saw beneath who he was as a scoundrel and as a cheater and a manipulator and he saw a prince. And he changed Jacob's name. From that point on, Jacob was a new person. It started here, it started in his heart, his willingness, his desire to be different, to change. But then it became everything. Not just his name, although his name became the name of the entire nation, Israel, Israel. And verse 31 says, the sun rose up above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. I love this too. This is such a great picture. God's not just interested in changing this. He wants your walk to be obvious you've been changed by him. He wants it to be obvious to everyone around you. There's something different. They walk a little different. They have this peace, this grace, this not everything's perfect, but I'm starting to see things change in their lives. I'm gonna, they're walking different. Your hips are so important for movement. You know, if you know anything about sports science, anything like everything builds from your hips, like explosive energy, your power, any kind of jump that you do, it, everything's gotta build from your hips. It affects mechanics of hitting and, and pitching, all this stuff. Hips affect dancing more than anything, which is one of the reasons you know I have incredibly healthy hips because I can tear a rug. I'm just letting you know right now. Call me liquid hips, come on. Everything builds from this and it's so symbolic. It's like, look, if you wanna be able to move, not the way you think you need to move, but the way God wants you to move, he's gonna to have to touch you. But when he touches you, you may not move the same way the rest of the world moves. You may move a little different, but from that day forward, think about every step that he took, a reminder. I've been touched and changed, every step. And it wasn't just obvious to him, people knew. We read about it today. God wants to touch some of you. That means he may touch you in a way that's uncomfortable, but it's so worth it because he wants to change your identity. He wants to change your name. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. God wants you to be in a place where every step from this day forward, you have to lean on him. If you're here in this place and you just know you're just in this place of conflict, it may be relationally, maybe with your thoughts. You may love the Lord, but you're in a place of wrestling. You're in a place of difficulty, or maybe you've just never had a relationship with the Lord and that's why you're struggling. You're struggling because until you know who he says you are, until you know your value to him because of his son, Jesus, 
you're not gonna have the life that he wants you to have. So if you're here today, I wanna just start with salvation first because that's the most important thing. If you're ready for God to come and forgive you, to give you a new life in him, it's gotta take submission first. (laughs) You gotta be willing to say, uncle, I'm ready. I gotta give up. I'm, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do this on my own. I'm ready to submit to you, Dad. I'm ready to submit to your plan, to your purpose. And the way that you do that is by confessing Jesus as a Savior because you need a Savior for your sin. And also confessing Him as Lord because you being your Lord is not gonna ever work out. You want His Lordship in your life. If you're here today and you, you're ready to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe for the first time, or maybe you just need to come back to him. You need to rededicate your life to him this morning. If you're in either one of those places, nobody looking around. But I want to pray, and I want to include you in this prayer if, if you're willing. But I think it takes a physical act of, of your will just to say, that's me. That's me. So... If that is you, I want you to put your hand right now across this room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got it. Thank you, sir. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Anybody else? I know I'm away from God. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Thank you, guys. Don't worry about who's sitting around you. Remember, this is like, this is eternity. This is, this is your relationship with God. Got it, guys. Thank you. Got it. Most important decision you'll ever make. Got it. God, if the person next to you would make you feel embarrassed about this, consider maybe they just, they're not in the the right place either. (laughs) But you get right. You get right. Get right with them. Anybody else? Okay. So many hands. Anybody else? Thank you, guys. Thank you. I'm ready to make God the Lord of my life. I'm ready to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Father God, I thank you so much for all those hands. I don't know where they're at. I don't know their story, but you know every detail. Their past, present, and future. And you knew this moment was gonna happen before you created the universe. So I thank you for loving them individually so much that you would have sent your son Jesus even if it was just for them. So they're ready to submit. They're ready. And if you are, just just talk to God. The word says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you can be saved. You've already physically confessed that you need Jesus. I'd encourage you to tell somebody about it as soon as you can, to get water baptized as soon as you can. But let's just talk to God right there in our chair. Let's just be honest with him. Just say, God, here's my life. And I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. I've made more mistakes than than I can count. One of the hardest parts for me is is believing that I could be forgiven, that I could be loved. But by faith, I just, I know that I can't understand everything, but I don't need to understand everything. I just know I need you. So thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. 
Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. Please forgive me. And also surrender to you. I surrender my life to you. I don't want to be my Lord. I want you to be my Lord. Help me to understand what that means in the day-to-day with, with relationships, with, with work, with my finances, with every area of my life. I, I want to know what it means to be your child, to be a part of your kingdom. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you so much for, for meeting us, meeting every person here. This is the reason why we exist as a church so people can come to a place of finding you. But I also pray, God, that you would help us as a church to walk with each one of these people in the process of becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. We thank you for this picture of Jacob and how really it's a picture of every one of us. Thank you for for coming and meeting with us and, and putting up with us wrestling with you, which is so crazy, but you still have grace to even let us struggle with you so that we can be called into your kingdom. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.